Well, my wife taught how to make friendships Sunday night and did an awesome job by what I heard and all the reports. Well, tonight I'm going to teach you on how to tear them up. Because we balance each other. That's not what I didn't, I didn't bring that far, but I'll start off that way. But in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul's been praying here. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. How many know we were talking last week on tough love? It says... And, and it made such a thing, and I started praying about it, and God just said, go on it some more. So I want you to see here. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent and pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And we're talking about, you know, so many times in the church, you have somebody who is just misloved. I mean, just love everybody and just take everybody in. And I remember Sister Betty, who used to, who's on with the Lord right now. I mean, somebody come up, she'll bring them to McDonald's. Do you want to go to McDonald's with? I mean, always just reaching out and so much love. And then you have other people that are all knowledge, but boy, they 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 don't have much love. But how do you know that the Lord wants us to be balanced in love and in knowledge? Because when we love out of knowledge, discernment, and wisdom. We love our best. We give our best. And so we were studying these things to help us. And of course, look with me in Hebrews chapter 2, because we were looking there in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. Scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which are all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate. And not sons. Furthermore, you have had human fathers who have corrected us. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our profit. That he may, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, now, no chastening seems joyful at the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
One translation says that you endure this divine discipline. Say that with me. Divine discipline. Another translation says, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, I love this translation in verse 12 uh, in in, uh, chapter 12. It says, so don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. If it's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. God is educating you that you must never drop out. He is treating you as dear children. This trouble is not punishment. It's training. Stop saying God's punishing me. God's not punishing you. You're going through training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? God is doing what is best for us. Trained to live God's holy best. Now, as I was reading this and meditating on these different translations... Some of the things that God started dealing with in my heart is the condition of America right now where 85% proclaim to be born-again believers, but only 20-something percent go to church. Only 9% tithe. They all question so many different things. And I believe it's a lot because we're so good about giving somebody a pat on the shoulder and telling them it's going to be okay. Where the truth is, if you don't change... It'll never be okay. I believe that we've been so much into, I want to be careful what I say not to offend nobody, that we have have 85% of our nation who are converted, but they're not disciples. Jesus never said, go into all the world and make conversions. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And you have people, and we'll study this word disciple, they don't want to stay in the same church. They don't want to follow a man of God. They don't want to be responsible for themselves. They just want to just live their life and have the word given to them as they desire. Because they don't want to be disciplined. They do not want to be corrected. They don't want anything to offend them. And so we're doing a lot of pats on the back and we're doing a lot of I love you. And you know what we're doing too? We're telling them it's going to be okay. And we're lying to them. The truth is, if you don't get out of that relationship, it will not be okay. It will never change. I had a lady get mad at me. Always fussed me when I talk about smoking. And she let me know. She was mad whenever I talk about smoking. She let me know. Well, guess what? She's going through chemo right now with lung cancer. She's not fussing me anymore. And people say, well, you just want to get on something, a hay bag wagon, and you just want to just talk about this, talk about that. No, listen to me. What the word of wisdom says, what I'm telling you is able to save your life, and not only save your life, is able to lengthen your life and give you life more abundantly. So I don't need to tell you, you, it's true that it's going to be okay, but only if you choose and you change. 
I can tell you, you, you can, preachers can say, you, what to help you, what to change your life forever is getting the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. I know a lot of people, the Holy Ghost is speaking with new tongues, but because they live the lifestyle they do, things don't change. Well, you need greater faith. I tell you, you just need greater faith. Well, I tell you what, a lot of people have a lot of good faith, but unless they live right, talk right, think right, act right, and have the fruit of God, you have all the faith in the world. That mountain's not moving because of a lack of authority. Amen. So I started thinking, you know, God's serious about this. But in the Old Testament, you know, it was all about knowing God. Jesus came that we may to reveal the Father to us so that we may not only know Him, be known of Him, but know Him like He is. In the Old Testament, He was the judge. In the New Testament, He's the righteous King and He's the one who delivers and saves. And he's the God of love. But he came to balance because he is still the God of judgment, just as he is the God of love. So it's not enough enough to know about God, but to know God. Amen. In the Old Testament, God was the creator and the judge. In the New Testament, he was the Alba, the father. In the Old Testament, they knew about God. But in the, New, in the Old Testament, they knew about God. But in the New Testament, it was the, not only uh, knowing God deeper, but listen to this. Having the knowledge of God. Not only knowing about God, but having the knowledge of God. That's what we've been studying in these letters of Paul. Now listen, it says in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, you can just write this down. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the father corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child he delights in. Amen. Accept the correction of the Lord. Don't move from it. Don't try to get out of it. And so I was praying about this, and I went and looked, and see, they had any books titled Tough Love. I can't find any. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, just go get your books by Dr. Dobson on how to correct children. Because the kingdom of God is to be as children. And so if you want revival, you have to become as a child. And when you become as a child, I can correct you in the areas that I need to correct you in. You will be teachable in the areas you can be, need to be teachable in. And then I can bring revival to children who are open for a manifestation of their father. But as long as we have the attitude... That I'm an adult and God must treat me as an adult. He says, you say you're an adult. You should be as a son, a wheel, so a mature son of God, but you're still acting like a toddler. And until I could correct you out of being a toddler, thinking like a toddler, acting like a toddler, as long as you continue to live as a child in, in daycare or elementary school, I cannot send my revival to that limit of Elementary, I've got to bring you to a place of graduation, but you must be remaining to that place of childlike faith. The word discipline is to shape a child's behavior and attitude. And if there's something that we learn through this, instead of saying, 
You know, me and my wife don't get along real good. Well, listen, it's going to be okay. We're just going to pray for you. Sometimes we may have to say, well, brother, if I, had added, if I lived with somebody with attitude like you, I wouldn't get along with you either. Don't you talk to me about my attitude. I'm Irish. Well, let me tell you something. I'm Christian. Correction about your behavior. You know, your attitude was wrong. Yeah, I know it. Is this something how we want unity in the church? Is this something how children can get along real well? And they maybe end up fighting. I mean, fight. I mean, fist fighting. A few days later, they're playing together. But let an adult in the church get in a fight with another adult in the church. And they will continue fighting and they will never forgive. Or forget when a child does. And so I looked up some more here. And here's a letter that somebody got, uh, Dr. Dawson got from a mother. What should I do with my 22-year-old son who has moved back home after dropping out of school and making a mess out of his life? He doesn't have a job, won't carry his share of the load at home, and complains about the food he is given. Dr. Dobson responds, I'd help him pack. <laughs> this afternoon, if not earlier, some young people like yours have no intention of growing up. Now take this in a spiritual sense. Holy Spirit looks up at the Father and says, Some of your children don't have any attention in growing up. They're fighting in this church like they fought in the last church, like they fought in the last church, like they fought in the last bar. Your children have no intention in growing up. Your children have no intention in changing. And why should they? The nest is too comfortable at home. The church is too comfortable. That's my home church. They love me and accept me, even though I have a lover. They love me and accept me. And yes, we do. But we will tell you that is a sin and the wages of sin is death. Make the nest too comfortable. Food is prepared. Clothes are laundry. Bills are paid. There's just no insensitive to face the cold, harsh world of reality. They are determined not to budge. They need a firm push. I know it is difficult to dislodge a homebound child. They're like funny little kittens that hang around the back door waiting for the saucer of warm milk. But let them stay year after year, especially if they're not pursuing goals, is to cultivate a responsibility and dependency. That's not love, though it may very well feel like it. The time has come for you to hand the reins over to your son gently, but forthrightly and force him to stand on his own. If you do not do that, you will effectively paralyze him by taking away all the sedatives to get his life in order. Good luck, ma'am. Tough love. And we read in Hebrews. You know, the father corrects who he loves. 
And, you know, following the Word of God, and last week I want to, I want to apologize because last week I told you that in Matthew 18, uh, I told you 1 Corinthians, but it was really Matthew 18, 15 and through in the New Living Translation. That if it's, let's just, let's just go there and we'll read that. You're not in a hurry, are you? It's, it's, it's growing up time. It's maturing time. Matthew 18, verse 15. It's education time. And I want to learn by the Word. And you know, you can do and do and do. And people will use and use and use. But we want to learn to do and do and do. So that people can grow and grow and grow. Now, my wife and I worked among the Mayans and we were given a bunch of books to go hand out to them. And we did and we gave it, gave them all the books out. Then a few days, weeks later, we go back to their home and they have tore off the cover of the books and used them to make pictures uh, to, to glue on the backside of picture frames for their pictures. Now, I thought... They don't own books. They have dirt floors and a thatched roof. And, many, and those that we gave books to had an education. They could read. But because it was given to them, I saw that their Bibles that they had bought, was co- they would buy them and immediately cover them with a book cover or with a paper bag and carry it in a plastic bag to keep care of their Bible. Why? They bought it. But when you would give them a book, They'd rip it up and use it for the back of a picture frame. So I said, if that's the way it's going to be for giving it to them, next time I'm going to charge them and I'm going to see what happens then. And so we brought all these books and we charged them 50 cents to a dollar for the book. That book ended up having a nice cover. It was on a shelf instead of on the floor. When they had to buy it, they treated it a whole lot different. Well, this government and the church has joined in the government in just being a big handout for everybody. Instead of giving them seeds and say, you go plant, you go harvest and you go reap. And when it says here in Matthew chapter 18. It says in verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately between you and him and loan and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, then take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person, a believer, as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. Now, if I would preach that, I would be told I'm harsh and mean. But I know that is the word of God. 
when there's divisions and strife, when there's gossip and lies and twisting of the truth, you give someone an opportunity who's causing chaos to come and talk about it and even get before the elders about it, they don't want to because they love to keep on doing it privately. Why? You treat them as a pagan and a tax collector because deep down they are Judases and they are thieves and they are liars. And that's just how it is. There's things that you may think of people but not know that you, would shock you. Some people you may even respect are thieves to the government in many different ways and have it hidden. What you've got to know is that the Bible was very clear when Paul was leaving and he says in Acts 20, in the last days, after I leave you, there's going to be wolves that come in. And even from among you, there's going to rise up wolves in sheep's clothing who's going to even try to even deceive the very elect. When Paul was walking down the street in Acts, I believe, chapter 16, a damsel was going behind him saying, this is the, one, this is the men of God. This is the men of God. And his spirit turned on him and he, he felt by the spirit of God, this woman is in divination. And he rebuked her. And the spirit came out of her. The Simon the saucer, we find out later on, was doing the same thing. And after three days, listen to this. Tell me if this would go on in church today, if the church would accept this as seeker friendly. Simon the saucer is doing all this stuff, and all of a sudden he turns around, he rebukes him, and says, you son of Lucifer, and starts rebuking him and says, now, you turn blind. May God strike you blind that you be not able to see for many days until you repent. Now, if I were to turn to somebody and say, may you be blind until you repent, I'd have people leave the church and brand me as unlovable. You uncompassionate person. You mean person. The thing we've got to understand, it's about the body of Christ growing up and being strong and not being a nursery school for fighters of people, but fighters of the devil. And sometimes it takes tough love even in the church. It's coming a time, well, in, in the pulpit in America, that when things are happening and things are going on in the natural, pastors going to have to stand up and say, listen, I'm sorry for being so careful with you when I should have been warning you and teaching you the entire counsel of God. I was so worried about hurting your feelings and running you off and you taking off instead of worrying about the condition of your souls and giving you the full counsel of God that is able, according to Acts 20, save your souls when the wolves and the thieves come in. But when you have converts instead of disciples, a convert will go after money, a convert will go after looks, a convert will go after anything that makes them feel good. But the word disciple means not only followers of the word, but followers of the one who gives the word. That's the meaning of disciple. Not only following the word, but the one who gives the word.
I want you to think about that and meditate about that. A father disciplines for the best so we can be the best. Amen. Now, we read about that he t- teaches us things and we go through things so that we can learn. Look with me, Deuteronomy chapter 8. For our education, we read in one translation. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Don't be upset if a father corrects his son in whom he loves. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look what it says here. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. You should know in the in. In your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Another translation says you have learned deep in your heart that God disciplines you in the same way a father disciplines his children. You know what the wilderness was? Education. It took him 40 years to learn it. We don't have to take that long. But the wilderness was education. And God said He will do His fullness and bring His fullness in us. Do you know what that means? You are God's lab rat. He knows what you need to be who you need to be. When He says, I want to surrender, make me more like you, I want to be like you, He says, okay, in my laboratory. I will make you run around that wheel. I will make you I will make you eat this and I will make you do this and you will go through this and you will go through that. And I will wake you for certain times and I will see how you adjust to certain lights. And I will bring you through all kind of different things to make you who you need to be so that I may be glorified. Well, I don't want to be taught that. Well, I want to teach you that. I don't want to work with children, but I want you to work with children. I don't like them. But they need you. No, you need them. You need them. No, I don't. I've not had my kids. You need them. Because why? I want to educate your attitude. I want you to work with older people. I don't want to work with older people. They smell. I didn't ask you what they smell like. I didn't ask you what you like working with. They don't need you. You need them. I want you to work with youth. I don't want to work with youth. They smell. They're crazy. Their hair ruins my clothes. I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. You said you gave your life to me. Your life is mine in the lab. I do not need to be changed in that area. Oh, yes, you do. Why do you think you're still on that same job? Driving that same car? Living in that same house? Married to that same person. 
You always tell her, you need me. No, you need her. The word discipline means, you can write this down, necessary strictness. I'm a disciple. The word disciple means discipline. Necessary strictness. Necessary strictness. To constrain. Necessary strictness and to constrain. Limitations that are essential. I'll take my time. Limitations that are essential for any kind of effective learning. Limitations that are essential for any kind of effective learning. You give the definition for the word disciple. Because you know that's what Paul was making was disciples. You know, our, our church in Argentina just celebrated their ninth anniversary without us. The church is 16, 17 years old, but my, my assistant has been pastor now there for over nine years. If I would have just had conversions, it would have never lasted. But because I had disciples who wanted the word and the truth as you do, I was able to leave and has grown, matured, and blessed. What the church needs to do is disciple. It's not just a pew for a, con a, convert, a convert, but it's a place to learn to be discipled and follow the Word of God and be established. So that as long as you're established in the Word of God and you know you are where you're supposed to be, you know you're under a man of God in a, in a ministry of God and you know that God is blessing and God is giving you the Word and it's confirmed in the Word of God. Then when wolves arise, liars arise, deceivers arise, a disciple will not be moved. A convert is always looking to get converted again. A disciple says, I've been disciplined, I've been discipled, and I know where I belong. The word disciple means... A learner. A learner. A lot of churches, we've given the idea that disciples can tell the discipler what to do. But the word disciple means a pupil, a learner. One who follows both the teaching and the teacher. One who follows both the teaching and the teacher. If it's not both, it's unbalanced. Now, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I'm not saying I'm correct. But I am saying, according to the Word of God, God placed me here. As it says in Acts chapter 20, he says, where the Lord has placed you as an overseer, keep the wolves out. Where God has placed you as an overseer, you rule and you reign. Where the flock that God has placed you over as an overseer, you stay in that position. You use the Word of God. And sometimes that means tough love. Sometimes that means tender love. But every father knows how to discipline his children if they are a disciple. 
A disciple will follow both a teacher and a teaching and a teacher. The word disciple means a follower. The word disciple means a doer of the teaching. A doer of the teaching. Look with me quickly in Proverbs chapter 1. How many are ready for Wednesday nights and for Sunday mornings and Sunday nights? How many for intercession? How many ready? Let's go deeper. Amen. Amen. Listen. Paul says that Timothy must know the flock. And you must know your pastor. And you must know according to the Word of God. And a lot of times you hear in the airways, well, you know, I go to that church just because God led me there. That's not a disciple. Disciple will tell you, I go to that church because God led me there and I get fed there. If you're just coming here because you were led here, then you're not a disciple. You, if you are here because you are being fed here and you know this is where God brought you, then you are a disciple. And when you start preaching this way and you start standing on the word this way, people won't like it. And they leave. But I figured while some are leaving, there's probably room on the bus. But if we're going to see the kingdom of God withstand the assault of the enemy in these end times, we better know those who labor among us. We need to know the track records. And we need to know who we're listening to and by what authority they're speaking. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 23 Come and listen to my counsel and I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. That's what teaching does. Listen to my counsel. Too many people are listening to too many counselors. You hear? There's a lot of counseling going on. Well, I don't care what pastor said. I say this. You don't have that right. And if they're speaking any other thing, you treat them as a tax collector or a pagan. You either belong here or you don't. And you see, they would preach this way some of these churches that had these splits. They would have kept more people because when you try to comfort everybody, they're going to stay where they want to be comforted. But you want people who want to stand for truth and people who want to believe in truth. Because I'm here serious about God. God wants to come where He's serious about being sought. Now look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 verse 44. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. It says, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken. That word broken means, if if you want to look it up in the Greek, it means one who accepts discipline. Whoever falls on this stone or gets disciplined by the word of God will be broken. 
And God accepts the broken. But on whomever it falls, it grinds him to powder, which means dust refers to those who refuse discipleship. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Most of the message of the Lord was not accepted by the people, especially religious people. And in this area, there's a lot of spirit of religion. And when we stand up against the spirit of religion, there's going to be a lot of people who's going to lay hands on, especially me. But the angel of the Lord is here. And the hand of God is upon me. And the God has put me here. And God has put you here. And we've got to know that God is building something strong and it is sounded by Him. Amen. Refusing discipleship, you can look at 1 Corinthians 11.31. So let me get to this point and let me quit here for tonight. So all this gets on the CD, so it all gets on the computer. So those who are listening by computer, I say, I love you and I bless you in Jesus' name. And I'm so glad you decided to listen to this lesson. I love each and every one of you. Those who love me and those who don't love me, I greet you tonight. And I love you over the computer in Jesus' name. And I'm praying for you, my brother and my sister. The Bible talks about working out your own salvation. With fear and trembling. It's not will it work, but it means to work. It means to toil. It means to work hard. Work hard on your salvation. Work hard on the abundant life. Work hard on your peace. Work hard for your victory. And so I want to I want to end, you can write this down in Hebrews four twelve. About you know the you know the scripture about the sharpness of the word of God. It says that the word of God pierces. Write that word down. Pierces. How many know the word of God will pierce? A disciple will run from the point like a spoiled brat will run from a belt. Ever try grabbing a kid to whip them and they run away from you? Any of you ever try running away from your folks? What happened when they caught you? What happened? The word of God pierces. I don't want that point to touch me. Well, guess what? By the time you do stop because of all the problems and all the headaches and you say, go ahead, Lord, now. It cuts harder, cuts deeper and has more to cut off. The word pierce means to slice and to dice. To slice and to dice. You ever see those people on the cooking channel? Ever felt that way? The word slice and dice speaks of analyzing our motives. Now, I'm almost through here. The word pierce means to analyze our motives, priorities, and thoughts. To analyze our motives, priorities, and thoughts. The word piercing through means to penetrate. To penetrate. It divides asunder between the natural and the spiritual. It divides asunder the natural and the spiritual, the soulish and the spiritual. In other words, the word of God pierces and penetrates to divide. So this is the soulish part. 
This is the Spirit's part. Now you've got to judge and decide what you're going to live. I cut you. Here's the anger. Here's the forgiveness. Here's the soulish. Here's the spiritual. Now, which one are you going to, you're going to, you're going to, I've got it divided for you now. You're going to have to choose which fruit you're going to partake of. He divides the soul and the spirit, the soulish man. The word shows the difference. And then it says, judge. Divides asunder so that we can see and we can judge it. After the word pierces and divides that the, so that we can judge what is right or wrong, the word there is the Greek word, K-N-I-T-I-K-O-S. And it means to judge or to critique. How many of you know Adam took the fruit? He decided when he took the fruit, he decided what was right. When I do something that's wrong, I'm already deciding what's right for me and not letting God decide what's right or wrong for me. Whatever I partake of, I judge as right for me. And now the consequences of it may be not right for me, but I judge the fruit and the fruit brings with it its harvest. So to walk in the Spirit means I want to partake of the fruit of the Holy Word. I want to partake of the fruit of walking a life in Christ. I want to walk in the Spirit, not after the flesh. So the Word of God divides and opens me up. And all of a sudden, here comes the Father. And He says, my son, my son, you cannot have that type of attitude towards your mother-in-law. And He's done opens you up. And you can look back and say, well, she deserves it. And he says, you're still a child. You still act like a child. You still think like a child. Therefore, your responsibility shall be on a childish level. I cannot trust you or promote you with more. But he goes to you and he cuts you. And it may feel like it hurts, but there's so much love in that cut. And you're open and he goes, you love your dad. Or you continue to hold bitterness against your dad. I can't. He raped me. He abandoned me. I'm not putting it back together again. I've divided it. Now you choose. Are you going to forgive or are you going to love? I can't love. Then when you get back, then I'll just put you temporary together. And you're going to... Shake and robble and fall under every storm that comes through. And when you're ready, tell me and I'll open it up again and I'll show you. Here's the right, here's the wrong. Here's the love, here's the forgiveness. I'm not asking you the excuses why you're bitter. I'm just telling you my ways to love. And he lays it on the table in the presence of our enemies, which is many times myself. He lays it before the enemies, which are really my attitudes that are wrong. And he says, decide the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh. And we can never be whole until we totally go the way of the Spirit. Let's stand up.